0: Romans 8, Romans 8 is a chapter of celebration. So let's turn there now, Romans 8. Pastor Sam read this for us this morning. Um, Some call this the greatest chapter in the Bible. Um, That could be up for dispute depending on what you currently are reading and you may have another interpretation of what might be the greatest chapter in the Bible. But this really is a contender. And the theme of it is freedom in Christ. And particularly how the Holy Spirit of God communicates that freedom to fuel the endurance and the joy and the happiness of Christ's people, both now and forever. So this morning as we dive into this chapter, we're going to do our best to go through these 13 verses in the time allotted, knowing that 13 verses could turn into 13 sermons easily with the depth of the material that's here. And I'm going to even try to throw in some of chapter 7. So pray As we go forward this morning and let me pray now as we begin father God I thank you so much for the joy set before us that the work of salvation is done in Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished for us stands forever as the testimony of what you required and what has been fulfilled thank you that our hope this morning is not in our abilities to come to you with righteousness but that you have imputed us with the righteousness of your son counting us not guilty because you counted him as guilty oh we celebrate the Lord Jesus this morning and we do that in the spirit thank you Holy Spirit guide us in the words that you have penned for our good and help us to respond in obedience to you now in Jesus name amen I grew up in the era of G.I. Joe and Rambo, all right, so I'm not going to preach on Rambo this morning, but there's a concept that seemed to appear in the 1980s when a lot of the world was in turmoil and a lot of uh, regimes were holding people captive in foreign countries, and we have this idea that if, if, a, if a, an operative, a, a powerful one, a muscular one perhaps, with the know-how of infiltrating that foreign country, going to where those captives were being held, and liberating them, that it would be the occasion to celebrate and to see that foreign power fall, those captives be freed, and that person, that operative, doing his job. We love to celebrate those kind of things and watch them on the screen. I'd like you and me to imagine, just for a couple of minutes in this introduction, that we are being held captive and if your imagination doesn't work well it can even be here in the united states all right let's imagine that a foreign power has invaded and i'm not trying to scare you this morning i'm just, we're just imagining okay please a foreign power has invaded they have forced all of us out of our homes and a lot of us have found refuge in a cave and we're hiding out there so far nobody's found us but All outside of the cave, we're hearing gunfire and missiles exploding. And we're seeing flashes of those things on the cave walls. And we're cowering, just wondering what will happen next, if we'll be found, if we'll be rescued. Uh, But we know that we're trapped and we're without hope. When suddenly, amidst the explosions on the cave wall, the, the shadow of this lone individual comes walking into where we are. And we don't know if it's enemy or if it's friend. But ultimately, as that person comes, maybe very average looking, but obviously on our side, but not quite like us. But he has a message for us. His message is this. The enemy has been routed. Their general has received a massive wound. And he knows his time is short. He's causing a lot of trouble. He's still attacking our cities. But our captain has gone into the battle and completely devastated his forces. And while they still be making a ruckus and causing a lot of affliction, their time is done. I've been come here to tell you that you're liberated. I've been sent here to tell you you have now been declared free. All you have to do is trust me and come out here where there's still a bit of fighting, where there's still some trouble, but I'm your guide. I know the intentions of the captain, and his intentions are for each of you to make it out to safety. What would we do if such an individual came in with a message like that? Well, what if some in a camp sent their representative forward? Well, we appreciate this. It it certainly sounds good, but... We're just going to stick it out in the cave here for a little while. Maybe another would send a representative up and say, well, you know what, the, the invading powers, they certainly don't seem to be going away very quickly. They're not that different from us, really, so some of us are really making inroads into negotiating with them, and we're, going to, we're just going to kind of coexist. Well, meanwhile, some others take that message. They know there's danger out there, but it's certainly better than remaining in the cave. And they take that infiltrating operative at his word, and they run with him, taking up the weapons he's provided, and they get into the fight as free people. Now this morning, our imagination can take us that way, but reality plants us in a similar situation. Romans 8 is the world where conflict, battling, and fighting exists, But at the same time, the Holy Spirit has invaded this world where everyone has been held under the captive of the evil one, Satan. But he comes into the world in the most invasive way possible, right into the enemy territory, right into the enemy's people, invading the very hearts and communicating the message of liberation to every one of them that the King, Jesus, has stamped on Satan's head. And that though his fury blasts, it comes from a wounded foe now, and he is retreating, causing havoc even as he goes. And all of his condemnation that he knew was yours, rightly, by the justice of God's law over your sin. The king had took your place and died for you, so that all of that has been taken away. There is no more condemnation, even though you may feel its attraction. You may still have this wrestling within you. I have been sent to teach you how to fight as freed people. And really, this is our theme this morning. The Spirit helps believers to fight as the freed people of Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit has come to do. Among many other wonderful gifts and ways that He ministers to us, which is the whole theme of Romans 8. The whole way that we're going to find Our our resources in Christ, they're all tied to the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us. But it begins this morning as we focus on freedom in the fight, Romans 8, 1 to 13. There are four main ways that I hope we can see this theme of the Holy Spirit helping us, coming to us, coming into the midst of the battle zones and calling us to action and helping us. And the points are these. I'll go through them and then we'll go back and we will work through them together. In the first place, the Spirit declares the terms of freedom. He declares the terms of freedom. In the second place this morning, the Spirit directs us in the lifestyle of freedom. He directs us in the lifestyle of freedom. In the third place, the Spirit delivers the blessings of freedom. He he delivers these blessings of freedom to us. And then in the last place, the Spirit demands we fight as freed people. Doesn't quite go in the the same form as I did every other three points, but I hope you can forgive me for that. All right, number one, the Spirit declares the terms of freedom. This is in verses one to four, and I'd actually like to read back into chapter seven, starting with verse 21, if you'll look at that with me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, uh, starting with a very personal account of what's happening in his life. Verse 21, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I I want you to think about whether you can agree with that. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord so then i myself serve the law of god with my mind but with my flesh i serve the law of sin there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death for god has done what the law ...weakened by the flesh could not do... ...by sending His own Son... ...in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... ...He condemned sin in the flesh... ...in order that the righteous requirement of the law... ...might be fulfilled in us... ...who walk not according to the flesh... ...but according to the Spirit. Again, a lot here. If the Spirit comes... ...as I suggest He does... ...and communicates to us... ...our position now as freed people who no longer suffer under the penalty of the law, no longer face God's wrath for those sins, then how is it that the Spirit declares these terms of freedom? Well, I see two ways that we stand according to the Holy Spirit as he reveals his points here. In the first place, we have positional freedom. Positional freedom. And that's in verse 1 of chapter 8, where he says, now... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a positional freedom. It's not something that we have earned. And when I use the word positional, it means that before God, this is our position in his mind. This is how he sees us now. This is how God regards us now. It is a position of no condemnation. Well, I've read that verse many times in, verse, in chapter, one verse, chapter 8, verse 1, rather. And I also know those verses that come right before it. And I see how the Apostle Paul was wrestling. I want you to know that Paul is presenting to us what I believe is his real-time dealing with sin. Sometimes people interpret chapter 7 as a pre-conversion Paul. Um, I know their intent, and I know what they are trying to say. They're trying to say that, Those who seek God and who come to understand Christ and his power are liberated and don't deal with struggles like Paul is saying here. I understand that, but I don't think the text allows us to think that way. So when Paul says there's no condemnation, he's talking about in the midst of real time struggles and situations that he is facing. Look back at what he says in verse 22 of chapter 7. He says, I, that's him, delight, present tense, in the law of God, in my inner being. I don't think unbelievers do that. I don't think non-Christians find delight inside the very essence of who they are in the law of God and regard the law of God as beautiful and true and right, even though it, it, it pins them to the ground. They agree with it, and they know it's just condemnation of sin is right, and it's lofty exaltation of God is right, but then he says, in verse 23, "...but I see in my members another law." Now, this isn't something that has been put out there by humans or even by God, but this is, an essence, where sin is involved in a believer's life. Paul, when he refers to another law, it's similar to the rest of verse 23 when he says the law of sin. And then in verse 25, at the end, when he says the law of sin... And even down in chapter eight, verse two, when he says the law of sin and death. What does law mean here? Just means that in principle, there is an authority to sin in the life of an unbeliever, for one on one hand, that says, If you sin, you will die. This is the principle and the rule. You sin, and if that is your life, if that is your intent, if that's your pursuit, you'll die. Now, Paul says he feels the power of that, even in his inner being. And it can crush him. And he's looking for relief. And that's why he cries out, wretched man that I am. If you look at the law long enough and you see your own sinfulness, you'll reach the same conclusion. And at times it's necessary that we do. But at the same time, Paul then cries out in thanks to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you would, you would think that he would end chapter 7 right there, right? Have you ever thought that before? Wouldn't it be great if he ended with verse 24 of chapter 7? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Just end it right there. But, but then he doesn't go on to no condemnation, but he says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Friends, that's what I am contending this morning is the fight that we find ourselves in. On the one hand, you have the law of God that we regard as Christian people, as good and right. We regard God as holy, wonderful, beautiful. The Lord Jesus as the supreme ruler of all. And yet, we also feel Something within us pulling us back to the life of sin. But Paul is communicating to us in the midst even of that fight, Jesus declares you free. How is this possible? Well, the Spirit communicates to us that on the one hand, it's positional. God declares there is no condemnation for you. And how can this be? Well, look down at verse 3 for a moment with me. The word condemned appears there as well. Somehow, another condemnation took place to cancel out our condemnation. Look with me at what it says in verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Right? The law, the law of God, as holy and righteous as it is, could not take care of the problem of human sin. In truth, whenever someone would encounter the law of God, even today, it reveals what sin is, and it entices and compels us. It's like telling a kid, don't go to that cookie jar and get a cookie out. Dinner is coming in an hour. You go out of the room for a minute, and you find the kid over there with his hands or her hands on the cookie jar. I've witnessed this at home. (laughs) I know myself, and I've done it. There's something about a stated rule that as soon as it goes out, it kind of entices something in you and you just want to do it. You want to do what it says not to do. And Paul senses this even in himself. But here's what he's saying. God has done what the law in its declarations of what was right and wrong could not produce in us. God has done what the law weakened by our flesh, our fallen bodies, could not do. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Here's the reality of what this means. God did not send Jesus exactly like us. Otherwise, it would say God sent his son in the flesh. It didn't say that he sent him just to kind of look like us. Otherwise, it would say he was just sent in a likeness to us, but he was sent in the likeness of our sinful flesh. Our flesh really is the controlling parts of us. I mean, you can sense it in this way. You see it in this way. It's our our members, our hands, our eyes, our noses, our legs, our internal workings, our organs, any of that that could be pointed out in the direction of doing bad stuff, of sinning, and of having a principle within us that compels us to do that. Jesus had everything that looks just like ours, yet there was no sin principle in him at all ruling him. He was free from it. I can't even imagine that. But the beauty and the reality of what Jesus did is that he accomplished a whole life of sinless perfection, but God sent him for another reason, for sin. This is short for for a sin offering. According to all the Old Testament law, God sent his son to be the sin offering made for all the sins of the people. And Jesus did this. And what was the result? God, the father, condemned sin in the flesh. The flesh there is Christ. He condemned sin in Christ. In order that, verse four, the righteous requirement of the law Again, that's the the holy law of God, might be fulfilled in us. Now, what was that requirement? Well, we have it even here at West Park. We say we love God, we love people, we impact the world. Well, it's taking the great commandment and the great commission, and it's trying to boil it down to what our essence of Christians and followers of God should be. We are people who love God. We are people who love others. In essence, that love is the fulfillment of the law. This is what God wants. He wants people who love him. He wants people who love others. But nobody did that like Christ. Nobody could do that but Christ. Yet Christ was punished for never doing it, as if he had never done it, and as if he had sinned. And all who come to Jesus in faith, believing that he took their place, receive the full record and merits of Jesus on their behalf, so that it's as if they have fulfilled that all their lives long. And that's the positional freedom and the term that the Holy Spirit gives us. And that's why we can celebrate no condemnation, because Jesus was condemned. And the only way that we can receive that pardon and that escape from the condemnation is to come to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes. To convict us of that and to draw us to christ and when he is present in a person's life dwelling there he still draws our attention to christ and that's why paul even in his wrestling can say there is no condemnation for me or anyone else who is in christ jesus who belongs to him and there is also a progressive term to our freedom There is a progressive term to our freedom, and that's the second aspect of it. In verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The good news here is that the Holy Spirit, when He comes into a person's life and influences that person, one of the first things that the Holy Spirit does is He sets that person free free from the power of that principle of sin. Again, the principle is this. If you sin, you bring death, you will die. The Holy Spirit liberates a believer from that bondage. It doesn't mean we will no longer feel the pull and the effects of sin, but we can say with the certainty of the Holy Spirit recording this as a past tense verb, that that is a broken power in our lives now sin no longer as elsewhere in scripture we learn has dominion over the life of a believer it really does not and in principle you don't have to sin anymore isn't that good news you actually have a power unleashed in you now that makes it possible so that you can please God more on that in just a minute so why is it that we still feel even as Paul did the effects of this well I hope that we could see a chart up here something that a group called World Harvest Mission made called the cross chart that other point by the way was progressive there is a progressive element to our freedom and it is that the Holy Spirit set us free and we are continuing to experience that freedom Now, as any illustration goes, it may help some, it may not help others, but I want to try to tell you why I use this. I use this particular illustration often when I'm counseling people to help them understand themselves. And I've used it and been very helped myself many times through this. So let me explain it a bit. The line on the left just indicates time. It can indicate your life. So I want you to think of it that way. You are on that line. And at some point in your life, you were converted if you're a Christian here today there was some point in time you may not know the exact details or the exact hour some of you have that written in your Bibles some of you have that time and date stamped somewhere and praise God that you do I don't all right I hope that you can have a little bit of comfort and maybe some assurance today to know that not the, the importance of this is not to know the exact date and time that you came to know Christ but that you know Christ. That's the important thing, all right? So I can say for a certainty, I was converted, all right? So what happened to me, and what is the Holy Spirit doing since that time? Well, on the one hand, it's not perfect, and if the line was actually right, it doesn't go straight up, but it kind of dips, and it waves, but the general progression is up, okay? I have a growing awareness of God's holiness, The Holy Spirit helps me with this. As I read the Bible, what was dead to me before, what I didn't get, what didn't seem compelling, what didn't seem interesting, now is compelling. It is enjoyable. It hits me with conviction. God is the holy God. As Pastor Sam shared last week from Hebrews, it is a frightful thing, a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The holy spirit's role is to convince us of that but likewise there's another element a dimension of the holy spirit's ministry again through the word we have a growing awareness of flesh and sinfulness and i can say that's true of me as well i have a growing awareness of my flesh and sinfulness and this is what the holy spirit does he helps me to see through the word areas in which i am weak areas that i fall areas in which i need the grace of christ And that is why these crosses are getting bigger, right? It's not that Jesus and his cross get bigger. It's just in my estimation and my understanding of what happened for me, that grows. My affection for Jesus grows. My understanding of his role in my life grows. My understanding of the importance of his role in bridging that gap between sinful me and holy God grows Because I recognize it was a great gulf between me and God indeed. But the Holy Spirit is so kind to communicate all the blessings of Christ. And that I am in him now. And that cross is a symbol of all he has accomplished for me. And how it stands as my resources for life and happiness now. So friends, I want you to be encouraged by our positional and our progressive stance. The Holy Spirit is doing this work. But in the second place this morning and more quickly now the spirit directs us in the lifestyle of freedom romans 8 5 to 8 says this for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on this flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. These verses describe both the flesh and the Spirit. It's capital S, it's the Holy Spirit. And there is a dimension in the life of every believer, a little bit of that flesh, and a little bit, well, I shouldn't say a little bit, an all-consuming presence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand what this word flesh means. It's the Greek word sarx, and you can write it down, S-A-R-X. And it's not talking about, in this case, our flesh and blood. What it's talking about here is something on the inside of us that is motivating and controlling, okay? So the NIV, I know, it translates this sinful nature, right? It doesn't say flesh. In the ESV, in the King James, it uses the word flesh. But you, you others who may have different translations have the words sinful nature. It's not a bad translation. There's really a difficulty in trying to convey exactly what this is. What is it? And we don't want to be ruled by it. We don't want to be in its sway. We want to be in the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean, flesh? And what does it mean, spirit? In some ways, it's kind of like the time that I lived in an Asian country and traveled to other Asian countries from there. In certain Asian countries, you have propaganda everywhere telling you how to think, how to feel, how to live, who you can support, it should be the dictator, and who you should not support. Those are the oppressive foreign powers that would tell you their ideas. After a while, what I noticed in people is that outward propaganda became their inward motivational system. And it's what they gravitate towards, and it's who they are. In a lot of ways, the flesh is like that, although there are many things outside of us that tempt us to sin, there's a motivational system inside of us after we live in this world for so long that just becomes who we are and it motivates us to do things that are outside of God's will and outside of his way. And so there's a way that we can break down verses five to eight to help us understand a little bit more about the flesh and about the spirit. If we look at the flesh versus the spirit in these verses first of all you can see the mindset of the flesh the mindset of the flesh and here's what i see on the left you see the mind set on the flesh on the right the mind set on the spirit and in these verses you are compelled and invited to compare and contrast how they work on the one hand you have the mindset on the flesh it focuses on the things of the flesh Basically when it says the mindset of the flesh and how it focuses on the things of the flesh is telling us that there is a way to go through life where you prefer, where you kind of incline to, you dwell on in your mind and your thinking and you enjoy all the things that the flesh tells you. And it says those who are set on the mindset of the flesh They're just living there. And the the threat of the flesh is that it loves and enjoys and it dwells on all things that have nothing to do with God. That basically say, God, get out of the picture so that I can do things my way. And Paul wants us to know the danger of that. Piper, John Piper says, the mind of the flesh wants God out of the picture. Well, we see that it's It's death. In what way is it death? Well, a mind separated from God, a life that prefers living away from God, actually is experiencing by degrees the power of death. Anything separated from God is death. It's a sentence that you can enjoy certain things, but they will not give you satisfaction. They will never fulfill you. It's futile, and ultimately you die separated from God. Paul wants us to be real about that. It's so bad that it's hostile to God in these ways. It does not submit to God's law. Uh, We we see that in the life of an an unbeliever who's ruled by the flesh, who wants nothing to do with God, looks at the Bible as irrelevant. Looks at it as not necessary. Looks at it as something that cramps the style. And the second thing, indeed it cannot submit to god that's a strong word cannot the flesh paul is communicating to us doesn't help us in any way to know god the essence of our sin the essence of what we think alone apart from god does not draw us close to god something must happen on the outside of us to awaken us and to bring us to god first corinthians is a good verse to include with, indeed, cannot submit to God. It says there, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And finally, cannot please God. Because what they do is in self-reliance, and in a desire to take God out of the picture, God cannot be pleased. He will not be pleased with those who walk in the flesh. So let me pause here long enough just to encourage those this morning who are here, who find themselves in the flesh as a, not just in every once in a while area in which they struggle, but this is you all the time. If you don't love God, if you're not enjoying him, if you are not awakened to his life, then today the Holy Spirit says, wake up and see the deadliness of this and come to christ but in the spirit i want to focus on the mindset of the spirit the spirit focuses on the things of the spirit verse 5 tells us and this is similar in a way to jesus speaking to peter when jesus told peter i am going to the cross to be crucified matthew 16 23 peter said no lord may it never be And Jesus said, Peter, you don't know what mind you're of. You are thinking and dwelling on the things of Satan, not on the things of God. Did you hear that? The things of the devil, the things of God. The Holy Spirit is focusing on the things of God. And by focusing on the Spirit, there's life and peace. Let's flesh this out more on the next slide. You'll see that if you're hostile to God in the flesh, in the Spirit, you're at peace with God. If you don't submit to God's law in the flesh, you do submit to God's law. Right? You don't have the attitude that it's irrelevant. You can see what God's law says about you, and you recognize it as true and you submit to it, and you go to God for grace and help. If you can't submit to God, well, the good news is with the Holy Spirit you can submit to God. And if you cannot please God in the flesh, with the Holy Spirit in you, you can please God. This is good news. And it gets even better. Let's go to how the Holy Spirit communicates to us and delivers the blessings of freedom. There are three in verses 9 to 11. Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Blessing number one, I see here as guidance. Guidance. Now, why guidance? Look with me at the words here. He says, You, however... So he's talking to believers now. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh. You're not in that realm of being controlled by the flesh, but in the Spirit. You are in the realm of being controlled by the Spirit. How can this be? How do we know this? If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, didn't Jesus promise that? Didn't he say he was going to send a helper to us that would reveal everything else? That he would lead us into all truth that he would convict us of truth and righteousness of judgment that he would bring us into a fuller relationship with christ that we would know him he did promise all these things and the holy spirit has come anyone who has believed in jesus christ and repented of his or her sins has, be, has received the full pardon of god and you now have the holy spirit the good news is that it's not the special Christians that get the Holy Spirit. It's every Christian. There are two types of people in the world, those who don't have the Holy Spirit and those who do. There's one kind of Christian, those who have the Holy Spirit. That's it. And the Holy Spirit, in his role in a believer's life, it is to influence the way that they think. And there is a war going on between the Spirit and... ...in you and your renewed heart... ...and that leftover rebellion... ...of the flesh... ...that God hasn't willed yet to completely remove... ...from you and me. But the Spirit is in there... ...guiding you to fight... ...and leading you... ...to run to Christ... ...and to embrace His commands... ...and to obey Him. This is the Spirit's role. How do we know you're doing this? Well, if you read the Word... ...and you obey Christ it really is that simple when pastor when some people come to us and say the holy spirit led me to do so and so and it ends up being something sinful the tragedy of that is we're pretty certain the holy spirit's not telling them to do that to get a divorce on unbiblical grounds to take a a business venture that we know has unrighteous principles i don't think the holy spirit's communicating that Yet some people come and they think that's how the Holy Spirit guides. No, the Holy Spirit guides through the word and he calls us to take it and he calls us to obey in the power that he gives us to follow Christ. In the second place, there's another blessing is the the blessing of belonging, connection to Christ. Verse 10, it says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now the image has changed a bit it's not that the spirit is in us here but if christ is in you we see the lord jesus christ the son in a believer's life dwelling there and he says that even if your body is dead now this is the good news that's coming um, when the other preachers complete romans 8 for us and they they help us understand it what we're going to see is that we have certain things in life that remind us all the time that we are on the way to die. Aches, pains, brokenness, even though that's true, if Christ is in you, the Spirit is in you, and that leads to life. And the assurance of this is in the third blessing, resurrection life. And this is the ministry of God the Father. Verse 11 says... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Well, who's that? That's God the Father. If the spirit of God the Father dwells in you, him who raised Jesus from the dead, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So there's imagery of in you and dwells in you. If you have the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Father, all the same spirit, but linking you back to God, our triune rescuing God. The promise is that even though you die, you will not die forever, you will be resurrected to new life. This is good news. And so in the last point today, what is our obligation? Well, the spirit demands we fight as freed people. One principle from verse 12 Can be stated this way be killing sin or it will be killing you this was a statement by a 18th century theologian john owen and he wrote a long volume of books about this verse romans chapter 8 verses 12 and also verse 13. and all these books had titles like on the mortification of sin in the life of a believer Uh, Puritans like to give long titles to things. Basically, it could have been called, Christians, let's kill sin. And he was ruthless in his writing and pastoral in his tone. Verse 12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You expect him to say, but according to the Spirit. But he continues in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. He wants us to know that the flesh and its temptations toward things that we know will destroy us is so strong that we have to apply like ruthless force to cut it down at its root. About a year ago, we had a Bradford pear tree cut down in our front yard. I hated that tree. Um, My wife and kids loved it in the springtime for all the white petals that would flow down. But it was the stinkiest tree And it really started to droop and split and crack where we were just able finally to get it cut down and the guys who came said we can grind the stump down and we recommend that and that should remove all the problems of future trees popping up and i said do it but you know what happened this year baby bradford pears are growing again (laughs) i get out there with my mower and i cut it off and i cut it off But they keep coming back. And I know the only way I'm going to get that out of there is to dig down with my shovel and to get out there with my axe and to chop up those remaining roots. That's the only way to do it. Unless I call that guy back in with his big stump grinder and say, do it right this time. (laughs) It just shows me that, like in my life, there's lots of things that when I think are cut down and done that keep popping up. And that's the way it is with sin. As Christians, like those people in the cave at the beginning of this sermon, you can't just hide and pretend they're not there. You can't make a treaty with sin and just live with certain levels of sin in your life. You've got to put it to death. And verse 13 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The second saying I would suggest is this. Oftentimes we say let go and let God. At times, that can be helpful. But in this case, no. Rather, trust God and get going. The other day I was making lunch and I was there listening to a sermon and all kinds of vile things just popped into my head. Things that were attractive, things that could have drawn me away but the holy spirit i know in that moment prompted me to call out to christ and to say no no i will make war i will not stand for this invading army anymore the weapons of my life are the holy spirit and the word of god and dependence on my king who defeated the enemy